this week, I was uh, looking online, opened up Facebook. I occasionally get on to wish many of you happy birthday. That's about the extent of my Facebook skills. And um, anyhow, while I was on there, it, like the little feed popped up, and the bun fills popped up on my feed. And it was graduation, this cool picture of them and their four Contigo girls, right? Do you guys remember that picture? So hospitality, another picture of that. It just popped into my mind as Kathy was talking about because it can be in your home. It could be welcoming college students. It could be the, the main idea of hospitality is welcoming a stranger, someone I didn't know before who now becomes family. And I go to their graduation. I go to parties. I go spend time with them. I, we go on runs together. We hike or whatever. That's what it looks like, and it's beautiful. So keep leaning into that. I know many of you are doing so, and I'd encourage you to keep at it. The uh, topic for this morning, we have been in the book of Acts, and we're taking a, a little pause to highlight a specific part of the book of Acts. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the theme. I've got lots of really cool slides. You'll see none of them, but um, they're awesome. So just imagine you know, a cool picture of the Spirit right up there or something. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to like, dive into this subject, and uh, hopefully we'll get some things out of it that are unique or different, uh, because I think it's a good time for us to pause in the book of Acts, and it's a good time to talk about this particular subject or this particular person, the Spirit, because He's so prevalent throughout the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter 2, where He has just come and rested upon all 120 people that we're calling on the name of Jesus that we're in that space. And then they went out and began to declare to all of the people around them in their own language what the gospel is all about. And so we're going to look at the Spirit. And let me just pause and pray to the Spirit and asking Him to reveal Himself to us. Spirit, we are excited about this morning, excited about understanding You a little bit more. And to be honest, You're quite a bit of a mystery. There's things about you we'll never quite grasp, and, and that's a good thing, I think. Help us this morning as we uh, look at several different passages to maybe understand you a little bit different or perhaps just approach you differently. Speak to us in a way that only you can. Cause us to listen in a way that only you can. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, we decided several, several months ago to talk about the subject of the Holy Spirit, um, I just honestly didn't know where to start. So I figured I would start in Ezekiel 37. It's a good place as any. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel 37. Some of you didn't even know Ezekiel's in there. It is. It's in the Old Testament. Okay. So you can find it in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37. And when you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the background on this particular passage. You have Israel, the people of Israel. Their uh, entire like nation is decimated in many ways. They've been destroyed. They've been on the run. They've been in ruin. They're in exile. And they've lost everything. Everything that you can imagine. All their, their kind of social identity is gone. They've lost their religion or their ability to worship in the temple or the tabernacle. They've lost their land. 
And in many ways, I think they've lost their sense of God. They're like completely confused, unaware of where to go and how to move forward. And into that, we get one of like the coolest visions that God ever gives to one of His prophets in chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And it goes like this. If you have your Bible, you can kind of follow along. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface in the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, You know. You have this space that he's at where everything is dead, everything is lifeless, everything is broken, just scattered about, it's dry. I mean, it's a place that I think many of us at times find ourselves in life. It's at that kind of the valley of dryness, of emptiness, of brokenness. And then he says this to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word or the Lord God to the bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And this is a fascinating story, a fascinating piece of scripture that describes this valley of completely dry bones that as the spirit, as the breath enters into the bones, they form and they become alive. They become filled with life. There's several main kind of figures in this particular passage. There's this idea or this picture of breath. And there's this picture of dirt. Breath and dirt show up all throughout this section of Scripture. And in these 14 verses that we just read, there is a single word that's used 10 times throughout this text. It's the Hebrew word ruah. Maybe you've heard of it before. That particular word means wind 
breath means a blast of breath. It even means the Spirit. See, this Bible that we're reading, this passage is translated, and it's translated into three different words. You have the word for wind in the passage. You have the word for breath in the passage. And you have the word for spirit in the passage. So the wind is describing that which kind of blows from the east to the west. It moves among us. You can feel it. This word is also describing the very breathing in and out, the breath of us. And the verse also describes this spirit piece, this immaterial part of a person, this abstract, esoteric essence of a person. All three are described, but only one word is used. It's the word ruah. Same word. It's the word for spirit. It's the same word where we get the New Testament word called pneuma. Pneuma means spirit or current of air or a breast or blast of breath. Spirit. Spirit and breath really are the same exact word. You find that all throughout language, but specifically in both Greek and Hebrew, you see it's clear as well. That is why some call breath the kiss of the divine. Maybe you've heard that before. Breath and spirit, one word. In the passage, you also have dirt. Just plain, simple, old dirt. Now dirt, what's interesting about it is it's made up of several different parts, qualities. You have water. You also have carbon, hydrogen, and about a dozen different minerals and metals found in dirt. This was laying on the floor in this picture that we see in the scriptures, this dirt that's spread out, these bones that have been dry and broken and cracked. The same material that's made in that dirt is the exact same material that's made in you and I. So you have dirt, which is carbon and hydrogen and water and about 12 different minerals. And you have me, that is water and carbon, and hydrogen, and about 12 different minerals. And you have you that's made up of the very same pieces and parts. And the only difference, really, between the dirt that I just held up and me is the breath, is the spirit, the essence of God in us. It's the only difference. See, when God breathes, this passage is telling us, when God breathes, things come to life. It's an interesting picture that the breath of God is the very thing that gives us life. It's the breath of God that is the very thing that allows us to eat, drink, and be merry, as the text says. Or to live and move and have our being, as the text says. It's the very thing that allows us to enjoy the sunset. To fall in love is this idea of breath. See, Ezekiel 37 is pointing us both backwards and forwards. It's pointing us backwards 
to a passage you might be familiar with in Genesis. In Genesis, the text goes something like this, that there was God, there was dirt. He took the dirt and he breathed into it the ruah, the breath of life. And then there was Adam, dirt and breath. It also takes us forward to Acts chapter 2, where this new movement of wind comes upon the people. You see it in Acts chapter 2. A violent wind enters the room. The Spirit is present. The Spirit is among and comes upon the people. And so if you read Ezekiel 37, and in any way you are inspired and intrigued and wondering and going, man, the Spirit is alive and unique and crazy and does amazing stuff. And that was so cool back then. Let me tell you, that is for now, right? Because the Spirit is alive and active and moving. He is the breath that gives us breath. Now, I have told you many times I have a bit of an apprehension with the Spirit. Right? I grew up with two members of the Trinity. It's kind of the way things were for me. I didn't understand this third person. In fact, I had many hang-ups when I was growing up related to the Spirit. I felt like most of what I heard is we talked about the Spirit as if it was an it or a thing and not a person. And so I'd often hear you know, stuff about the Spirit, and it would make me think of Star Wars, you know, like, may the Force be with you, and that the Spirit would be that Force, that it, that thing that nobody could really describe, but you kind of wished you had it. Or I would hear oftentimes that the Holy Spirit was kind of also like the Holy Ghost, and that would confuse me a little when I was young, and I kind of wished that he was like Casper, because then he'd be friendly at least, right? And so... I'm, I'm wanting the Spirit to be friendly and to be nearby, but I'm kind of just still scared. I felt like if we didn't bring Him up very much, I felt like I was missing out on something. That maybe there was a part of my faith and a part of what it means to follow God that I'm not catching. But if we brought Him up too much, I felt like there was someone always looking over my shoulder so says, not to get too carried away. Like, I mean, we don't want too much of the Spirit, right? I mean, let's, let's be cautious. So I've always had this misunderstanding with the Spirit. Not really sure if He's supposed to be an entity or a person or an it or a thing or the force or what is it that He is supposed to be and how is it that He relates. And so I think I did what the church has done for a long time. I've just taken the safe approach to the Spirit. Right? What I'll do is I'll analyze them. That's the best way to do it. I'll dissect them. Right? I'll start to like systematize them. Maybe you've heard of that. So we, we start to just talk about what are the things that he does? Well, he seals our redemption, he guarantees our resurrection. These are all amazing things that he does, but he's so much more than this. He guides us into truth. He's a comforter. He convicts us of sin. And so suddenly he becomes just this list of things that he does rather than a person that he is. Or we take what I would call the dictionary approach. And we say, well, according to Christian tradition, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. 
right? Consistent of the Father, of the Son, which is also known as the Word, and the Holy Spirit, right? And so we take this, like, dictionary, define it. It's on Wikipedia. We're supposed to feel really good about it. Um, or we take my favorite, which is the egg approach. We go, this is God, this egg. He's one thing, but he's really three parts. See, crack him open, he's the shell. He's also the yolk. And he's this white stuff. That's probably the spirit, right? And so <laughs> we, we just try to define him in all these crazy ways. That I go, man, I kind of think we're missing it. And so we start to make him a scientific experiment. I think when we do, I think we explain away the mystery. It starts to sound a lot more like math and science and a lot less like art and music. I heard a quote that says, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Talking about music is like dancing about architecture. See, is there a meaning to music? The answer to that is yes, most definitely. Can it be explained or stated in words? The answer to that is most definitely not. Right? That there is something about music. There's an essence to it. There's something that transcends to an an extra dimension. There's something you can't put your finger on that you know is there, but you don't know how to describe it, and you go, man, that music makes me feel, but I don't know how to say it. You know that there's words to it, but you don't know how quite to articulate it. That music has, just like art, have these intangible qualities that we cannot in some way define. And perhaps that's why we don't get the Spirit. That's perhaps why we can't quite figure them out, because what we do is we talk about music and we dance about architecture. And we just stand around wondering why we haven't quite figured him out. John MacArthur makes the statement that the supernatural activity of God is so utterly beyond the grasp of humans that the Bible writers have to employ similes to describe his manifestations to men. What he's saying is God is so profound that similes are the best approach to take to try to understand them. That the closest we're going to get to understanding the Spirit is for us to start each sentence or each time we talk about Him with the word like. It's kind of like the wind. It blows here and there and you can see its effects, but you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't grab it. That he's kind of like the sound of wind, as the scriptures say. Let me give you a few others. He's kind of like a dove, which symbolizes peace. He's kind of like the fire, which talks about zeal and enthusiasm. He's kind of like the rain, which brings refreshment. He's kind of like the wind that expresses his unseen strength. He's kind of like rivers which symbolize blessing. He's kind of like oil that signifies favor. He's kind of like clothing that represents His presence. He's kind of like all these things, and He's kind of like so much more, and yet we want to define Him. Let me suggest two ways to approach the Spirit. 
And then let me suggest a few ways that he approaches us. The rest of our time will be to talk about those two things, our approach, the way that maybe we should approach him and the way that he often approaches us. First of all, I would encourage all of us to approach the Spirit with wonder. Approach the Spirit with wonder. G.K. Chesterton, an English writer, stated this a long time ago. He said that children's lives are better than adults. Period. (laughs) Children's lives are better than adults. Why? Because children never say, life stinks. They don't say life stinks because life is still filled with wonder. I mean, think about going to the zoo with a little four-year-old. I mean, you walk up to the cages, you see the lions, the monkeys are swinging, everything's filled with wonder and awe. They get freaked by the snake in the tank that can't get you. I mean, it's just amazing. Think about that for a moment, and then take a 14-year-old to the zoo. (laughs) Right? This is stupid. They just sit there. What is going on? Think about that for a moment, then take a 40-year-old to the zoo. I remember talking to my friend, this was several years ago, and and he, he had just gone to the zoo, he took his kids, and I'm like, man, how was it? I love the zoo, I think it's so cool. And I'm like, hey, tell me, describe it. And he goes, it's horrible. And I go, why is it horrible? He goes, well, I walk up to the lion cage. I look at this, and I go, he goes, it's not a lion. I said, well, what was it? Did they like, switch it out with something? He goes, no, it was a lion, but it's not a lion. can't be a lion unless it's running and it has wind blowing through its mane. It can't be a lion unless it's like stalking some prey. It's just sitting there. It's a cat. I don't want to come look at a cat, right? He's all frustrated. Why? Because we've lost the wonder. We've lost the wonder. I think our hearts were created for wonder. There's an author by the name of Mike Iaconelli. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but I just like reading him because of his name. That's a cool name. Mike Iaconelli. He, uh, he made this statement, it's a, it's a long quote, it would have felt much shorter if it was on the screen, <laughs> but just follow with me, alright? Because I think this quote embodies this idea of wonder. He says this, the critical issue today is dullness. We have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing, it's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. The greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished and amazed. We have allowed technology to beat our imaginations into submission and have become tourists rather than travelers. We have been stunted by mediocrity. Most of us act as if it's more important to make a living than to live. Financial security is much more valued 
than the insecurity of following Christ. See, our world is populated with domesticated grown-ups who would rather settle for safe, predictable answers instead of wild, unpredictable mystery. Faith has been reduced to a comfortable systems of beliefs about a God instead of an uncomfortable encounter with God. The church should be full of Christians who seek questions rather than answers, mystery instead of solutions, wonder instead of explanations. I think we've lost the wonder. So approach the Spirit with wonder. Also approach Him filled with questions, not answers. See, I think what we want is neat, tidy answers. We want clear, defined boundaries. We want black and white, in or out. We want it simple, neat. I would almost say that what we want is limits to our God. We want Him to fit in a nice little box that I can wrap my brain around, which is tiny. Madeline Leingle made this statement. She said, we try to be too responsible about what we believe. Let me say that again. We try to be too responsible about what we believe. Then she said, what I believe is not responsible at all. Think about it for a moment. What you and I believe by faith. A God we've never seen. That's one but three. That has a spirit that indwells. That left and will come back. That rose from the dead. None of that is reasonable, right? But it's beautiful. It's mysterious. It's true. See, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes, right? The Spirit falls. It comes into this room. There's this violent wind. There's these flames. They land on one another's heads. And all around the room, you just see this place lit up with flames. And what's interesting is they all leave. They walk outside. They start to speak in language. Everything is confusing. And yet everybody understands what's going on. And guess what? None of the people respond with answers. They all respond with questions. They all respond with, like, what does this mean? Are these not Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our native language? What the heck is going on? That's in the next version. (laughs) Right? It's they're like totally dumbfounded, confused, wondering, this is mysterious, this is different, it's beyond anything that we can imagine. You can only describe it with similes. Like, this is, we don't get it. Perhaps there's something we can learn about faith by that same posture in Acts 2. That maybe it's more about questions than answers. That as we approach the Spirit, we don't try to box Him in, we allow Him to be mysterious. Once we figure we figure them out, then I think we're in trouble. Here's what I mean. I mean that he approaches us in certain ways. And this is part of 
what it looks like. He approaches us with presence. Think about that for a moment. The Spirit of God approaches us with presence. He indwells us. He comes and, as the text says, He fills us. Right? Some describe it this way. They say that every believer is now a burning bush. The Spirit of God thick and heavy upon them. That the presence of God has now come into every single believer. What was once a fatal encounter, if you touched the Holy of Holies, if you went and saw the Ark of the Covenant, if you were in the presence of God, you were dead, is now resting within each of us. It's described throughout the text as filling. A bunch of passages that are flashing right now, like Acts 6.3, filled with wisdom, the text says. Acts 6.5, filled with faith. Filled with grace and with power. Filled with joy. Filled with wisdom and revelation. Filled with the knowledge of His will. I could keep going and going and going that when the Spirit comes on you and is present, you, present, you are filled. And His presence is in your life and mine. He also approaches us with power. The Scripture says that He empowers us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and following, He says this, that, that um, He's praying, He says that I ask that God, of our, or the Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, that You would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may understand the hope to which you have called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, it says, is from the Spirit, and that power is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. That is the power that is within us, that gives us life, that gives us breath. You could almost say that the Spirit is with us with such power and such presence that our very breath reminds us of Him. That as I breathe in, I'm being filled with the Spirit. I'm being reminded of that filling that has already taken place. And as I breathe out, it's a a reminder that it is the work of the Spirit that is moving from me to others. That we are being used by God to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. And it is through the Spirit's power that that rhythm of breathing happens. The last way that He approaches us is He approaches us with surprise. Have you ever been walking into a room and someone like jumps out from behind a door and yells surprise? And like your heart stops and you can't breathe for a moment and you're kind of freaked out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, so next time that happens, think about that. That he jumps out at surprise. I mean, look at, look at the Scriptures. If we, were, if we were going to be honest about his movement in the Scriptures, if we were to make newspaper headlines that kind of describe the way he moves, it would go something like this, right? Virgin expecting baby. Shocking. Surprise. Right? It would say things like dead raised to life. It would say 
Man kills lion with bare hands. The Spirit. It would say, flames fall from heaven and rest on people. It would say, surprise. This is different. This is unique. This is crazy. See, the Spirit moves in ways we don't expect. He moves in ways that He speaks to us. I mean, if you think about that, He speaks to you, right? He speaks to you in visions. Sometimes He speaks to you in dreams. Sometimes He speaks to you with a whisper. Sometimes it's a little nudge. Sometimes I'm driving down the street and then all of a sudden I sense something and I'm, I have to go do it because the Spirit is saying I should. I was talking with a friend of mine and I coached her and her husband in church planting there in Hawaii. She was in a room. She was with a group of people and they were praying together. And she's laying hands on this one girl and she's praying over her. And then as she's praying, she's like, starts smelling chocolate chip cookies, right? Sounds weird. It is. <laughs> Nobody's baking them, and she's smelling it, and she's going, this is really weird, looking around, like, did somebody start baking? Am I missing something, right? And then she's praying for this girl, and she goes, okay, this is going to sound really weird, but I, she, I'm just going to pray it. God, I'm sensing chocolate chip cookies. And I'm praying that whatever that means for this girl, that do with that what you want, right? (laughs) And the girl began to weep. Just weeping. Because she runs this small group. And every time people come over to be hospitable, she bakes chocolate chip cookies. And she decided one night, I don't think I should keep running groups. I don't think putting the extra effort in makes any difference. And why, why am I doing this? And it was as if the Spirit of God said directly to her, keep baking, right? <laughs> keep, keep doing this, right? That, that, that he's a mystery. He says surprise. He comes in unique and creative ways. And all of what I described this morning leads me to this little quote by Francis Chan. He says this, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for Him to come through, that if He doesn't come through, I am screwed. That's how I want to live. I hope that's how we as a community desire to live. And all of that brings me back to this. This dirt. This you. This me. The difference between this and the difference between me and you is that within us is this gift, this Spirit that allows us to move and have existence. It allows us to breathe and have life. It is the Ruah. Ruah that comes as a wind, as a breath, this blast, so that we might know God. As we enter into communion over the next few moments, let me encourage you with this. Let me encourage you to have a bit of a conversation with the Spirit. So often we talk to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. Awesome. Jesus gives us that model in Scripture, but I also think He gives space for us to say, 
Spirit, help me to understand you. Come on me with surprise. And some of you, I would even ask you to really evaluate. Is that breath in you? If you don't sense Him coming with power, if you don't sense Him coming with presence, if you don't sense Him coming in a surprise, mysterious, undefinable way, then maybe He hasn't come for you yet. So maybe it's time to evaluate that as well. As we go to the table, be mindful of the fact that it is the Spirit in us that allows this communion between God and us. It says that even the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to say. And so as we partake of the bread and the wine, be mindful of the gift of the Spirit. Let's pray.